Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transaction that has hit the market and kept off with discussing regulatory updates. This monthly roundup is the created shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is hosted by Nick and Marika, who work in the sustainable corporate solutions team across the Asia Pacific. But first, let's look at some news. So Nick, what are some of the headline numbers and events that happened in the past month? Yeah, thanks, Marika, and um, good afternoon, good morning, and good evening to all of our listeners. It's been another huge recent period over the last month or so. I guess the first standout thing is just the articles around the market growth. We'll pull apart some more of the specific figures for the half year, probably in our next episode, so we can digest the different numbers coming. And similar to what I mentioned on the last podcast, there's just so much positive momentum. It's not too much point pulling apart all the numbers because it's just all one-way traffic at the moment in a positive way. Second quarter was still pretty strong. There's growth across different geographies, growth across products, growth across different types of use of proceeds. You know, sustainability-linked bonds, for instance, are up well over $30 billion plus for the year already. Some transition instruments that have been done. So just a really dynamic market. The early figures that we've seen for halfway through 2021 indicate pretty close to surpassing all of 2020 and whether that's 450 500 550 billion depending on what instruments you're including what it means is that huge growth very positive in our business we see huge momentum there's even some recent forecasts which have come out for green social sustainability and linked instruments to be over a trillion this year so we'll probably hit that the way things are going so just really positive market dynamics so there was lots of really positive articles about that a recent meeting we wanted to also highlight, Marika, was the ICMA annual meeting. So I'd encourage folks listening, do check out the materials that came out with that. It was great to see ICMA, who do a lot of fantastic work in this area and really provide the foundational underlying standards that underpin you know, these key products in the market. Their annual meeting updated the versions of the green bond and social bond principles came out with some other materials such as sample KPIs um, for linked bonds. There was a checklist for social bond programs. You can use a lot of these tools to apply to social loans as well. Some updates to the impact reporting databases, some new metrics for circular economies and other things, updates to the handbook. So loads of fantastic references. And sometimes because ICMA has come out with so much, it's easy to forget some of those things that have been released. So we'd encourage people to to dig around on the ICMA Resource Centre, sometimes it's a bit tricky to find items. Familiarise yourself with what's on there and some really good developments. Whilst not being a huge change, the Green Bond and the Social Bond just had a little bit more on the risk element section and selection of assets, probably the biggest change. Also the recommendation, which is pretty much happening in the market, to have a framework where these things can be encapsulated, how you're meeting the standards, and also seek external review from somebody like us. So some really positive developments there. So do check it out on the the ICMA Resource Center. We also saw a a really interesting development recently for what's called a green designation from NASDAQ towards green equity. So that's a Nordic-based initiative for NASDAQ. So as we know, there's never really been any defined principles for green equity as such. 
so NASDAQ has come out with a couple of designations about green equity or green equity transition that looks at your revenues, ideally over 50% green, and then also OPEX and CAPEX being aligned at least to 50% and above towards uh, or meeting the EU taxonomy. So the reason we wanted to mention that is I think that's an excellent development in the market and just shows how different standards, different guidelines, maybe 50, 50% is a little bit low on some of these, but it's a good starting point. And the more instruments that are available to companies so that they can demonstrate revenues as green, assets as green, sustainable, I think it just helps whole capital raising get done and directed to more of these types of companies and projects. So I'd encourage everyone to have a look at that one or let's see how many other jurisdictions, markets, exchanges start to have these different style of designations. There was a little bit that came out from the G7 meeting a little while back. I think the key item for me that came out from that is really a much more push to have much more mandatory reporting around things like TCFD. We also saw SASB and the Integrated Reporting Initiative or Value Reporting Foundation, as of called now, come out with more guidance and we'll see the IFRS, I can't remember the exact acronym, will come out with more global standards on sustainability, I think as part of COP later this year. So lots of work being done and support around disclosures, maybe making them mandatory as well. On the SLBs or sustainability link bonds, pretty interesting, often debates and And we welcome that in the market. I think scrutiny is healthy. I think debate is healthy. Not all deals are going to meet everyone's requirements and be everyone's cup of tea, shall we say. But there was one that we did see. We won't mention the specific names. It is online. It was a UK property deal that went to market in SLB format, but actually didn't have KPIs or targets. They were going to be put in in 12 months. And we think, you know, maybe just label an instrument as sustainably linked or otherwise, once you've got those things in place and probably before it has those, it probably doesn't meet the requirements. So best to wait off to label something once you've got those things in place. But we know that certainly a lot of corporates and banks are are eager to support their customers on the sustainability journey. But from what we see, you know, good to have all that sorted out as part of the deal before it goes to market. An interesting report, Marika, that I noticed um, over the month was from Environmental Finance so we'd encourage people to, to check that out or to sign up to that. There was a report talking about SLLs, SLBs, or KPIs in eight metrics. And similar to reports that have been produced by Nordia earlier in the year, you can really see that there's concentration around a few key types of KPIs connected to linked instruments. So we just wanted to highlight those. 70% still around GHGs, carbon absolute, carbon intensity, different scopes within that. Then you've got 10% approximately around things like water and other environmental initiatives. Then you've got, you know, 10% social and maybe 10% governance. You've also got, at least for the loan side of things, uh, a number of deals done using ESG ratings such as that provided by Sustainalytics. So a fair bit of concentration on a few of those KPIs, but do check out that report is a really good one to read. The next point that I just wanted to mention was just about the emergence we're seeing of oil and gas companies in sustainable finance. And again, you know, we welcome deals from different sectors, different segments, and the debate and scrutiny that sometimes evolves as part of that, because that's healthy to um, developing the market. So we've seen Repsol go to market. We've seen E&I go to market. There's still talk of Total coming out with a framework. So the important things for us is the extent to which scope three is included or not, particularly for these type of companies. 
the extent to which offsets are included or not as part of a strategy. We'd prefer that they were a minor part of the strategy. And then also important for us is really the extent of ongoing exploration and capex for the existing oil and gas businesses. If that's significant and substantial with no clear indication of change, that's pretty difficult to sort of match to some of the sustainability targets and goals. So that's a couple of things that we just wanted to mention in terms of how we would look at those sort of deals. But again, good that these more challenging sectors coming to market and and some debate forthcoming as part of those. The only other thing I wanted to mention was there was an announcement from BSI, the British Standards Institute, coming out with something connected to bio natural accounting and biodiversity. And we've seen recently the TNFD, Task Force for the Nature-Based Financial Disclosures. So keep an eye on that as biodiversity conservation takes more of a central role in terms of eventually being used much more in linked instruments, but certainly connected to green loans and green bonds. And also just a shout out to our friends at CBI, the Climate Bond Initiative have continued to do a power of work in recent times. They've got some great webinars on on YouTube and on their site about the EU taxonomy, some insights into the Northern uh, America bond markets, our COVID recovery and ASEAN and lots of different things. But do check out those webinars on direction of the EU taxonomy, which, which colours uh, a lot of the market. So yeah, pretty much action-packed, Marika, in terms of lots of different things happening. And Marika, maybe over to you. It's, it's been a huge month of news and headlines and transactions. Anything that you wanted to highlight, at least on the green bond side? Yeah, thanks, Nick. That's right. So in the green bond market, we have seen a lot of activity going on. Interesting to note was activity in Central Eastern Europe. So here, for instance, we have seen Serbia. So a government task force announced that they are currently working on a document that would open the way for Serbia to issue sovereign green bonds in the international market. So that's a very good development. In general, CE activity is rising. We have also seen the Czech Republic arm of Raiffeisen Bank. They raised 350 million euro from a green bond instrument. And then also there was Slovenia who just recently did a 1 billion euro denominated uh, sustainability bond debut. We are very proud that we've been uh, working on the SBO for that transaction. And in general, Poland, interesting to note, was one of the first countries to issue a sustainable bond in 2016. So staying a bit longer in the suffering corner, as we have seen a lot of activity here, there was, for instance, Indonesia, where they raised a 3 billion global Islamic bond. And then we have also seen in the UK that they are planning to issue its maiden green bond in September, I think. And they have just recently published a green bond framework at the end of June. And then also there was some activity in Canada. So also the sovereign there is now developing a green bond framework. So lots of activity in the sovereign sector, and it's good to see more and more countries moving into the sustainable finance space. Then another interesting deal I would like to highlight, Nick, has come out of Africa. So here, Bank Windhoek, um, that's the bank in Namibia, they raised 270 million Namibian dollar from their first sustainability bond in Namibia ever. So really good development that uh, we have seen some activity in Africa. Although if you might like ask yourself the question now, how much is 227 million Namibian dollar? So that's in US dollar, that's around 17 million. So it's more like a private placement sort of transaction here, but in general, good to see the activity. 
I think overall African issues, they have raised about 2 billion US dollars in green finance in total. Don't quote me on that. But overall, it's not a lot of volume compared what we are seeing in other regions. So here also the largest countries are definitely Egypt and South Africa. But overall, there have been just 17 issues across eight countries in total out of that continent. So good to see more coming from the private sector. Then moving to other banks in Europe. So here UBS, they have come up with their green bond framework and they also launched their first green bond, which is used to finance mortgages for low energy buildings. So we congratulate UBS to also with the green financing framework and we are happy that we have done the SBO on that transaction as well. Then another activity in the Nordics, there was Danske Bank, for instance, they issued their second green bond, which was Euro 500 million large. And then also in the Nordics, there was Bank's Communinvest from Sweden. They also issued a green bond in the size of 5 billion Swedish krona. In Germany, there was NRW Bank, um, so that's the bank from Nordrhein-Westfalia. They have done a social bond for also 500 million, so also some activity on that front. But enough about the bank now, what have we seen elsewhere? So on the securitization side, interesting to note, there was Singapore-based Bayfront Infrastructure Management. That company has completed 400 million securitization of infrastructure loans. And interesting to note is that it includes a sustainability tranche, which is targeted at the growing pool of specialized green institutional portfolios. Another deal I would like to highlight, Nick, was the one from an insurer in Europe, so from Generali. They issued a green catastrophe bond. And that's interesting because the framework which Generali established, which is an insurance-linked securities framework, is the first of its kind we have seen in the market so far. So far, I think no other insurance company has followed that, but it's really good and interesting development we see in the cut bond market. And the transaction from Generali, I think that was 200 million euro denominated, and it's to cover Generali's related loss from windstorms in Europe and earthquakes in Italy. And other than that, we have seen some activity in the transmission area. So definitely we think the transmission will grow and that is supported by the transaction from Tenant. That's an electricity transmission system operator and they have launched a Euro 1.8 billion transaction. So it's the largest green bond ever in the form of a triple tranche green bond. And let's look at some other sectors where there has been activity in the green bond segment. There was, for instance, in the rail sector, there was Trojan Railways, which are steaming into the green bond market now. And on the waste side, for instance, we have seen Semcorp, that's the Singapore-based company. They launched a 400 million green bond, which is due in 2031. But enough about the green bonds now. Nick, is there anything you would like to highlight for our listeners on the social bond side? Thanks, Marika. So certainly, yeah, lots of action on the green side. On the social bond side, not quite as much activity specifically, but as we know, lots of social activities are now included in sustainability bonds, which include green and social. But one deal that we did note was from EDF in France, a renewable energy utility came up with one of the first benchmark size, purely social bond, and it was also a hybrid. So great to see different formats of bonds. And this one was uh, was funding employment generation projects for SMEs connected to power generation and distribution activities of, of EDF in Europe. So again, 
Good to see a corporate doing something slightly different and excellent to see corporates doing more in that social space, which we know can be a little bit uh, a little bit more tricky for corporates to define exactly what they're financing in that uh, in that regard. The second one to call out was AFDB launched a 600 million Aussie uh, kangaroo social bond. So good to see some diversification of currency there. And again, the multinational, or I should say multilateral development banks continuing to be pretty strong issuers on the social side. So yeah, just a couple of things to mention this month on that social side. Um, and Marika, maybe to, to hand back to you, continuing from, I guess, the bond side of things, what about green loans? We know that there's a, often a fair bit of activity on that side of things um, as well. Was there anything that jumped out to you in recent weeks? Yeah, thanks, Nick. On the green loan side, yeah, there was a bit of activity over the last months. For instance, we have seen ADB, which is the Asian Development Bank. They provided $160 million US dollar in the form of a loan to develop wind farms in Vietnam. And interesting to notice that's ADB's first wind power project in the country. And then another interesting transaction was from UOB Thailand. They have announced they are doing an Asia Capital real estate project, which is around 675 million baht. And that's a green loan to develop a hometown in Phuket for environmentally friendly, affordable residential rental apartments. So also interesting development there. And then another transaction was from the German Hapag Lloyd. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that um, correctly. That's a container shipping firm and they have signed 850 million syndicate green loan. That's all about the green loan side so far for this month. So Nick, why don't we move over to the questions? Because we have again received some very interesting questions from our listener. So if you don't mind, I read two of them out loud now and then you can provide your thoughts on those. So the first one was, what are the best tools to assess ambition for linked instruments? Sure. So um, I'm glad I'm getting the uh, glad I'm getting the easy questions. Not in the, in this one. And normally it's uh, me getting the tricky pronunciations on the deals to Marika. So hopefully our collective pronunciation can uh, can work well on some of the tricky tricky names. Together we manage. <laughs> exactly. But to answer the uh, the question, it's a great uh, it's a great question. So in terms of ambition, I guess for linked instruments, loans, bonds, we're really looking at three things. Past performance, are you better than past performance? Are you just online? Uh, We're looking at comparison to peers. And then we're also looking at what we call science-based benchmarks, contextual benchmarks, essentially what that means, best available technology. Really what that means is, is what references are in the market to work out whether you're better or worse than that to then judge ambition. So I guess I'll answer this question more from that third element, that contextual benchmark or just, you know, an easier word, reference. Compare yourself to a reference point in the market. What are the reference points that you can use as comparison to then say, yep, we're better than that. We're not quite as good as that. You know, how do you use those? So the first one would be the science-based target initiative. Lots of sector pieces and some really good fundamentals about a couple of different approaches, the level of absolute ambition that would need to be put in place to align to to science-based targets. So that's a key one. And as we know, 70% of targets for linked instruments are going to relate to GHGs in any way. So I think science-based target initiative is, is number one. Number two, closely behind is what we call the transition pathway initiative or the uh, the TPI. That's got about 16 hard to abate sectors where they have curves of emissions of, of companies and how they compare to 
a 1.5 degree scenario, a two degree scenario, um, and then also a Paris pledge or a, an NDC scenario of what governments have committed to. So that's a really good one as a comparative tool. ICMA also, as we mentioned before, released a bunch of really good uh, reference points in their latest editions of the GBP and SBPs. And there's actually a document of um, suggested KPIs for linked instruments. So check that out as a reference point. Then in terms of, you know, more so on the KPI side, it's SASB materiality matrix. It's our own risk rating methodology. So there's a few different things that you can use to make sure you're focusing on the right things. Look at really good companies or progressive companies in a sector to see what they're reporting. And then the levels. But I guess in wrap-up is science-based targets, transition pathway initiative, some of the ICMA documents, and then also even the industry-specific something like IMO for shipping and and the like, ICAO for for aviation, have some curves, have some reference points to use to see how you confirm, and also documents from, uh, from the IEA and other types of institutions there. So quite a number of things to look at, and it's a bit of an art to work out which ones are the the most relevant there. But hopefully that answers the question. Thanks, Nick. There is another question also around SLB, so it seems to be the hot topic at the moment. But that listener is asking, what have we learned most so far from the SLB market? So yeah, that's a really interesting question. Interesting to hear your thoughts, Nick. It is. It is. I wish it was. we had an easier question. <laughs> Maybe for next month we'll have some easy ones. But I think just a couple of observations, right? So from what we see, again, we break up assessment into looking at KPIs and then we look at ambition. So maybe starting on KPIs, I guess the first thing we look at is just having really consistent data for at least three years before the baseline. That would be the first thing that's really important. Sometimes it's not available. Second thing is really having a sensible baseline that's not too old and maybe last year is not the best baseline to use if in fact it's a really abnormal year because of COVID. So just thinking a bit more about baselines, what's the most appropriate? Is it too old? Is last year the best? Is two years ago better? Do we actually have the latest number which we can use rather than a baseline that hasn't happened yet? Just those type of things. The other key one would just be making sure that something's really clear in terms of definition and also Uh, what we call the applicability. So how much of a business does, say, an emissions target cover? And how much of the actual scope one, two, and three does it cover? We're not asking in most cases for scope three to be included definitely, but we just want to get an idea. If it's just focused on scope one and two, how does that compare? How much of the total emissions, when you also look at scope three, does that represent? Um, And we want to see decent coverage. The higher the coverage overall, the stronger the KPI is going to be. So that'd just be a couple of learnings and just in terms of wanting to see that type of data, which makes it more straightforward for us to make an assessment and work out whether a deal is doable. We also want to make sure then looking at the target side of things. Again, relating to past performance, relating to peers. So it's always good for companies to suggest who has the most similar business model, whether it's regional, whether it's global, some, um, some really good comparative points. And then something like offsets, we always ask straight off the bat, how much of a strategy to reach a target is dependent on offsets? If it's too big, you know, maybe up to 10% or something like that is maybe manageable, but anything significant, we start to think, well, we want to see the company ideally focus on actual activities, direct mitigation rather than offsets, which are more of a last resort. Um, And then the final thing for targets is really just thinking about some of those contextual benchmarks I mentioned 
always good. You know, that's our job to have a look and assess, but always good for a, a company to put forward and say, right, this is robust because it compares well to an IMO trajectory. It compares well to science-based targets because it compares well to transition pathway initiatives. We've done our benchmarks. We're different because we're the same and we compare well. So those type of things. So lots of things for the whole market to keep evolving on, including us. But it's been a great start to the SLB market this year and we continue to see it evolve further. And we'd really like to see you know more hard-to-abate sectors coming to market because that stimulates debate. It stimulates scrutiny in some cases and it helps the market evolve. So some pretty challenging sectors that can come to market in those, but you know, really good developments. That's on those uh, questions. So thanks for those continuing to come in. So let's shift gears to SLBs. I guess we've just talked about SLBs, but then to highlight some deals. Marika, what's jumped out from your perspective in terms of headlines or some interesting SLBs recently that you think is worth highlighting? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Given that there seems to be so much interest in SLB, happy to give a quick market overview what we are seeing over the last months. So for instance, a lot of activity, I would say, in the ports and airports area. So for ports, for instance, we have seen Port of Limac, that's a port in Turkey, and we provided the SBO for that port, and they had basically one KPI, and I think that KPI was a percentage of selected diesel power vehicles that have been converted to electric. So they basically wanted to electrify their fleet, and the target was to almost get all their fleet for the terminal trucks and port vehicles converted to electric by 2031. So very interesting, interesting transaction on the port side. In the telco sector, there was Telus, uh, which announced the sustainability-linked bond framework, which is the first of its kind in Canada. So that was interesting to see. And then on the steel side, there was something coming out of Sweden, I think, if if I remember correctly. And that was the company SSAB. It's a Swedish steelmaker, and they have come up with a with a sustainability-linked bond framework. And interesting to know is that SSAB um, they currently account for around 10% of do- total carbon dioxide emissions in Sweden. So their target is to cut carbon dioxide emissions by 35% by 2032, and the goal is to be fossil-free by 2045. And then in the engineering sector, there was some activity in Australia. There was the engineering firm Worley. They have uh, launched a well-oversubscribed Euro 500 million no-grow five-year senior unsecured sustainability-linked bond. And we also did the SBO for that transaction, and their KPIs were around um, scope one and two emissions for the operationally controlled entities and assets. All right, Nick, moving to SLLs, is there anything you would like to highlight on the sustainability-linked loan market? Yeah, a couple of things, more in terms of style and sector of deals or where these deals have come from in the recent weeks. So the first one was just um, Ural Kali. I think it was from Turkey, but forgive me, listeners, if I've got that one wrong. But the interesting part about that, it was an export trade finance facility. So good to see, and I think that's a massive untapped potential for these linked or even use of proceeds style instruments coming into some of the shorter term financings or even some of the longer term financings of important equipment that are done under these more project or, or export finance type structures. One deal in Singapore for uh, for capital land on the property side, again, property very prevalent in, in green and also in LinkedIn, also SK Telcom. Autos, we also noted a bit of a trend in that we've seen probably 
over the back end of last year, a bunch of autos go to market, a bunch of auto financing companies, leasing companies go to market um, and achieve some pretty good results in terms of their bonds raised. This one was interesting for a company called Falrichia. I'm sure I've said that totally wrong and apologies, my, my Australian accents. Better than my French one. Uh, but again, autos have been very active. So Falrichia is in the auto parts manufacturing and they were heavily focused on scope one and two CO2 emissions. But there's been a whole range recently, Bridgestone, Volvo, Trayton, either producing cars, you know, more sustainable cars, EVs, those sorts of things, or, uh, or parts. A DIY retailer, Kingfisher, I believe in the UK, did a linked facility. Again, the SPT is focused on scope one and two carbon emissions and also another target related to wood and paper sourcing in terms of uh, where that was coming from and what certification that had. So again, good to see generally in these deals, we're seeing that you know the carbon, which is very material reductions around that for many companies, and then some other important sustainabilities depending on sector get wrapped around those. Also, there was an interesting deal for Waterland Private Equity Fund, VIII, or WPF is a bit of a mouthful. But again, that's to really highlight that private equity is an interesting one because we've seen some recent and, and probably more in the green space, uh, but also in the link sort of side of things to help fund different types of debt structures or bridging structures. So private equity really getting into and availing themselves and using some of these instruments for their activity. Another one, hard to abate sector, Aerofloat, sustainability link facility for the Russian airline. So again, I think that one was based on an ESG rating. And I guess that comes on top of deals with ANA and Etihad on the transition and green side, and then also JetBlue last year, which also did a, a linked loan. They were the key ones that we wanted to focus on. There was also a little bit of action in pulp and paper and property, also media. So the really good and positive thing about the link loans is that, as we mentioned on the podcast recently, the ambition element like a bond is being aligned in terms of the principle. So we're seeing some more media link loans come to market and we're seeing a real further diversification of sector again some of those KPIs very similar to what we've seen before, but but more and different types of KPIs coming to market as well. So that's really positive to see. Thanks, Nick. Moving to the labelled market, have you seen any, I don't know, blue bond, climate bond, SDG bond over the last month, which was interesting to note? Yeah, it's a good section. So I won't talk and elaborate on these um, too much, but a little bit similar to recent themes over recent months. So we saw OCBC do an interest rate swap for Far East Hospitality. So again, having that be, um, you know, one of the hedging instruments also linked to a sustainability outcome with some pricing advantages if those sustainability targets are met. We saw Standard Chart uh, doing some green guarantees. Again, they can be a little bit tricky to structure exactly how that's done. And we haven't seen all those details. But again, it just shows the markets looking for different types of instruments, some of them more of an enabling nature, maybe than directly uh, green. And that sort of leads into the real push for trade. So the MAS in Singapore has come up with a sustainable finance sort of structure for trade. Hopefully we see a lot more because trade is a significant opportunity for, I think, banks and corporates to really do some more labeled transactions and support some of those more sustainable development opportunities. We also, lots of discussions around blue bonds and blue loans related to maritime and ocean economy. So some ongoing articles and bits and pieces on that, which is good to see because the key takeaway I've seen from that is you can't have a total green recovery, if you like, or things be well and achieved on the green side of things on land without the blue. 
you can't have a, a total blue achievements in terms of the ocean economy and the sustainability of that without that without the green. So they go more hand in hand. And I think we'll see some more projects which are interconnected for those going forward with some different labeled blue instruments. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I personally really like the blue bonds. So good to see that there is some activity and that there is some movement in that space. That's basically it, folks. We're coming to the end of this episode. So links to the articles and reports mentioned can be found on our website, or you can also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Sustainalytics. If you're interested and if you have any questions, do keep them coming. Also, feedback is always welcome. And thanks again for tuning in.